It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What's going on? Hey, welcome to the show. It is September 9th. Thanks so much for listening and making me a part of your day. I appreciate it. The show's made possible by patrons like Shelly, Lair, Ed, Krista, Sam, Paul, Dustin, Deborah, Josh, and Joseph. I appreciate the support. Couldn't do the show without you. Uh, so a lot of coverage now starting to pick up nationally. Not so much locally, but nationally. Some folks are taking an interest in the tweets that our 11th Congressional District candidate, Mo Davis, has made. And as I've gone over over the past two days, I'm not going to rehash all of this, uh, but he has been a prolific tweeter. He has tweeted, I think it was over 90,000 tweets over the course of, I think, seven years or so. Uh, Very prolific. More than me. Even I don't tweet that much, and I tweet a lot. He's got me beat by like 20,000 tweets, and I've been on way longer than he has uh, on Twitter. Uh, But... Uh, he's got a lot of material, and I understand the uh, the uh, I don't say the defense. The well, yeah, the defense. The ex- not an excuse, but it is a defense that uh, you know, as a reporter, I did not go through all of his tweets because there are a lot, and that is fair. Okay, that is absolutely fair <clears throat> that uh, you know a reporter doesn't go through all of the ninety thousand tweets. That's a fair defense. However, it does make you wonder how stories get into the media of old tweets from high school. You know, 40-year-old, all of a sudden, some tweets surface. How does that make it into the media? Right? Because somebody has gone through, usually as part of an opposition research effort, they've gone through and found this stuff, and then they hand it off to the reporters. And then the reporters decide whether or not to do a story. And the fact that we are now into, let's see, I <clears throat> I gave this information in the debate on Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, right? We're now into day four. This information has been public. It has now been covered by the North State Journal. AP Dillon did a really good article on this. The Real Daily Wire, or Daily Wire, their, sorry, their uh, Twitter handle is Real Daily Wire. But the Daily Wire, John Brown, he did a, 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 like, I think the most thorough recap of the tweets that I gave during the debate and uh, Mo Davis's response, as well as Madison Cawthorn's, because I asked a question of Madison Cawthorn as well. Neither one of the candidates answered the question that I asked, and that, that as I've gone over before, that was a limitation of the uh, the format. Uh, we were there to ask a question and then let the candidates just go and go back and forth. And there, are, as I've said the other day, there are pros and cons to all the different formats uh, when you're trying to run a candidate debate. Not There's no perfect format. People who are thinking that there is one, there isn't one. There's always going to be some downside to running a, a debate in a particular way. But and this is one of the downsides for that format was that uh, it allowed the candidates to completely avoid answering questions and talk about whatever they wanted to talk about. Now, one of the positives, uh, one of the pros for that kind of uh, format is that the candidates have more of an opportunity to go at each other 
because there isn't a moderator trying to restrict them uh, whenever they get off topic or something. And so they're able to, if they are willing, they're able to go after their opponents and then rebut, go back and forth two or three times. So, uh, and that's why I think the debate was, what did, uh, was it the Western Carolinian newspaper from Western North Carolina called it a slobber knocker <laughs> the Friday night and Saturday night was much the same and a lot of the same answers which is why I haven't gone in depth on any of that stuff but uh the uh the the tweets that Mo Davis has sent out uh they are now getting more widespread attention as they should by the way and and my question for local media in the 11th congressional district and even at the state level because like right now you're going to see there are going to be reporters who you know cover politics at a state level and they're going to ignore the story because it's very easy for them at a state level to ignore the story because they can say essentially it's a local story for that district out there. Now, mind you, these same reporters will do a story on, you know, Todd Aiken and the legitimate rape comment that he made back in 2016 or 2012, 2014, whenever it was. Um, they'll do all sorts of stories about what's the guy, the uh, the pervy guy down in Alabama. What was his name? Running for Senate, remember? And he was dating the 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 like the the 12 year old or whatever she was. I forget the name. Moore, Roy Moore, right? Um, so Roy Moore, they'll do all those stories, right? We can find all sorts of local connections to that, and we can we can sort of localize or nationalize that story as we see fit. But on this story, not so much. This is the equivalent of ignoring the Kermit Gosnell murder trials uh, or trial uh, year of oh, those years ago the most prolific serial killer in American history that the media did not care about because he just happened to be an abortion clinic doctor. And he was murdering babies, right? He was delivering them and murdering them, but nobody cared because uh, it was an abortion story, abortion-related. And it forced people to look at the abortion industry in a way that made them uncomfortable. And so a lot of media just ignored the story. And the famous quote, uh, what was her name, Cliff? Was it Sarah Cliff? I think she was a reporter for the Washington Post, and now she's at Vox.com, I believe. And she made the famous comment uh, that, uh, well, that's a local crime story. So what she called it is a local crime story. Like, okay, well, then by that definition, wouldn't, what's his face? The, uh, uh, the president of Liberty University, wouldn't that just be a, a local story as well? Like, who really cares if the president of this college was having threesomes? Right? Who cares? It's the, how does that impact my life? Right? Especially if you don't even live in, in in where's Liberty, Virginia. Right? So if you don't even live in Virginia, like I understand, maybe if you're in that town, if you went to that school, or if you're even in the state. Well, but he's a big pal of Donald Trump. Okay, so what? Does that impact anybody's life whatsoever? No, it doesn't. But that becomes a story of interest, and that's what makes it newsworthy. This is sort of the, you know, when when a dog bites a person, it's not really news, unless the dog has rabies, right? But dog bites man is not a story. Man bites dog is. that Because that is an unusual story. And so these newsrooms presented with this information, and at this point, there really shouldn't be any reason legitimately why they are not aware of this stuff. I have actually made the post of all of these tweets that I went and found, and I, it, it only took me like three to four hours 
Seriously, like about, this was probably two or three weeks ago, and I sat down and I was doing debate prep because I was asked to be a panelist. And so I was going through his Twitter feed to see where is, you know, what is his position on certain things? And I don't remember the first time I saw one of the tweets that he sent out. It was something had to do with, you know, the Republicans being jerks. He doesn't like Republicans, which that's fine. Like I saw a lot of tweets where he was saying stuff that wasn't, you know, it was just your standard fair politicking. And I just moved past it. I understand that. But some of the stuff then started, uh, I don't know, seeming a little bit nastier than I would think a candidate for office, uh, particularly one who has the discipline instilled by the military, would exhibit, I thought. And when I start seeing references to the KKK uh, and uh, calling the NRA a terrorist organization, when I start seeing stuff like that, now it's like, okay, wait a minute, how prolific is this? Like, how many times is he talking about this stuff in his feed? And so then I started doing keyword searches. And when you do a keyword search in Twitter with his handle, with his name, and you just type in Klan or KKK, and you get tons of results. And then you start doing some, you know, maybe put in a name, put in an event, put in an organization, and you start seeing all of these references. It's not hard. It wasn't difficult for me. I mean, yes, it's time consuming, but I did all the work. Like, honestly, I did all the work and I gave you all the links. There's really no reason now to keep the information from the voters. Because, look, honestly, how many people who read the Asheville Citizen Times or the Raleigh News and Observer or the Charlotte Observer, like the majority of the people that read these newspapers, uh, they are not going to be listening to a conservative libertarian podcaster. They're just not, okay? So are you trying to withhold this information from your audience? I think so. I think at this point you are. Because at some point you have to ask yourself, why aren't these news organizations even covering the story? It's been four days. People are voting right now, you know? Early voting is underway. Do you think your voters should know that this guy has said these things about half of the people that he wants to represent. And I think, yes, I think that's important. Just like you thought it was important that people know that Madison Cawthorn tried to kiss a girl six years ago. Or, yeah, six years ago. Like, that was really important for you to let people know. You thought people need to know who this guy is. He's uh, trying to kiss girls and uh, six years ago, and he's a sexual abuser or something, right? So you need to know this, voters. Okay, do the voters need to know that uh, Mo Davis believes that they're racists and Klansmen? Seriously, that's what he said. And when I asked him, you know, why did you say that? His response was, uh, well, you know, I was a contributor for MSNBC. And now that I'm running for office, you know, it's totally different. Even though he made a lot of those comments as a candidate. And he made a lot of those comments while he was contemplating becoming a candidate. There was no dialing back, you know. And then you've got a lot of his supporters that are out there on the social media feeds, and they are attacking Madison Cawthorn uh, and his campaign for deleting comments on Facebook and Twitter. So people come at him and they start trolling, and uh, the campaign start you know blocking people. And so that then it's like I can't believe I got blocked. By the way, I got blocked by Mo Davis yesterday. I'm not crying about it. It didn't matter to me. You think he's the first person that's blocked me on Twitter? You think he's the first politician that's blocked me on Twitter? Please. 
I and I don't use it as like a badge of honor or anything. It's just it 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 tells me a little bit about them because honestly, all I did was ask the questions. I just said these are your tweets. Can you defend this? Like, what do you say to people that want to uh, that you want to rep- you want to represent them? How are you going to bridge that gap? Right? There's a there's a credibility gap here. You're telling somebody that you think that they're a Klansman. Please vote for me. Like, do you think that message works? You're going to need unaffiliated voters. You're going to need some conservative voters. There are people, by the way, that listen to this show that vote for individuals. I have voted for individuals. I have voted for Democrats. I have voted for Republicans and Libertarians. Never Green Party candidate. That's a bridge too far, folks, Um, because they're basically watermelons, green on the outside, red on the inside, if you know what I mean. So, no, I don't vote for them. But I voted for all the others. So... You do have an opportunity to win my vote. So how do you expect to win my vote when you're calling the NRA a terrorist organization? When you're saying a Franklin Graham rally is a Klan rally? When you're saying the KKK is the base of the GOP? And then you block me because I asked you. Do you think you're going to get my vote now? Why, why should you? I think it's disqualifying. So... And again, it, the, the comments are disqualifying and his refusal to address it in, a, in, in any kind of a legitimate way. That's what's disqualifying. Um, not the fact that he blocked me. I could care less that he blocked me. Um, sorry, I could not care less. I could not care less that he blocked me. Um, but I, th- I do think it's interesting. I've seen a lot of these leftists that are like, Madison Cawthorn blocked me. He can't be elected because he blocked people. And I'm like, well, Matt, uh, Mo Davis is blocking people too. Well, that's different. Why? Oh, because Democrat, right? I'm sorry. I forgot. It's totally different when a Democrat does it. This is the inconsistent application of standards, folks. This is also, I mentioned this yesterday, this is why you need to have diversity of philosophy and ideology and thought and background in your newsrooms. You need more than just a diversity that is skin deep. You need more than a diversity that is gender or sexual orientation. I'm not discounting the importance of those types of diversity in newsrooms. But when everybody has the same way of looking at news, when they all think the same thing is newsworthy and they all are unaware of an entire half of the way uh, uh, the way the half of the country thinks, because you've got no intellectual uh, diversity, you've got no uh, ideological diversity. So you have... People that all look at a story about Mo Davis and tweets and you think, oh, that's not worth covering. So be, you know, be on the lookout. I am. I'm watching to see who does it. Because honestly, there's no reason why the stories can't be turned like that. These are easy turn stories. Easy. The work's already done. You don't have to comb through Mo Davis's Twitter feed any longer. People have taken screenshots. They're all over the place. I don't even think he's deleted most of the tweets, if any. So you could just go to my page, the Patreon page, and I've been spreading those links. All you need to do is go to my page, click the link, and see for yourself. I'm not making these up, although I was accused of doing that <laughs> during the debate. He's he's t- he's putting words in Mo's mouth. Uh, no, I'm just reading his words and asking him, what do you mean by that? How do you expect to represent people who you just called Klansmen? Anyway, um, now more than ever, you need old Grouch's military surplus in downtown Clyde. 
Tim at Old Grouches has an expanded line of first aid kits and medical supplies for all kinds of emergencies, uh, from scrapes to gunshot wounds with step-by-step instructions that anybody can follow. Body armor, all kinds, made to specifications that NATO goes by. This is uh, the, These body armor pieces are for purchase only in-store or over the phone, okay? In-store or over the phone. He's got face masks that are made locally by a disabled veteran family. They make them out of military parachutes, so they're lightweight and soft. He has steel gas cans, the pre-band kind, the old-school ones, the good ones, and, of course, tons of real U.S. military surplus. For more than three decades, Old Grouch's military surplus on Main Street in downtown Clyde, and the shop is open Monday through Saturday. It's across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and at oldgrouch.com. All right, so... Why do I bring up Mo Davis's tweets uh, yet again? Just to kind of, yes, to give you an alert, like be on the lookout for the uh, for the coverage and see who doesn't cover it, because that's going to be really instructive. But more importantly, and what I want to get into today, his his violence porn tweets, that's what they are, okay? When he's talking about, and he does this repeatedly, okay? He says this a lot on his Twitter feed, because all you need to do, go there, search for these, search for NECKS, N-E-C-K-S, uh, and you will see all of the times that he has talked about this visualization that he has of uh, of taking his heel and pu- placing it on the necks of pasty white conservatives is what he what he calls them and grinding it until you hear a crisp snap. He says it in, uh, in, well, not a lot of different ways. He uses a lot of the same language. It's like a copy and paste job that he does, but he says it a lot. In fact, Eric Soderstrom, I've got it linked up at the Patreon page. You can go check him out. He's got links to like all of the times that Mo Davis has said this over the years. So this is obviously something that he is visualizing enough to put down in writing in a way that he he thinks really conveys his sentiment. He, I mean, he obviously is proud of this statement and his construction of this imagery. And that's why I call it violence porn. It's what he's, that's what he's doing. It's what he's engaging in. And what is that? All right, these venomous depictions of conservatives, what is he doing? It's an effort to dehumanize. That's that, that's what he's doing. And I don't know if he's doing it on purpose. I don't know if he's even aware of it. Right. And I know sometimes like he says, oh, you know, I was a contributor at MSNBC. OK, maybe you go so you know far down that path uh, that you, <clears throat> I don't know, lose sight of common decency, because I don't think he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that would say that to your face. But maybe he would. I mean, I'm actually, you know, watching his performance in some of the debates, he might actually say that kind of stuff to one's face. But I don't know. He's a lawyer, so he may not have a problem saying a bunch of stupid crap. I'm I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's a cheap shot, I know, against lawyers, but I take them. Um, Democrats have been engaging in this kind of uh, rhetoric, but also as it connects to coup porn, coup d'etat. They've been doing this for quite a while. They they have this, there's this, there's this growing fetishization of, of carrying out a coup and violence. It is, and, and I'm watching it on the left. And now there are recent reports, and I have them in front of me, that are genuinely concerning to me. And if I cannot tell you how many times I get asked as if I'm an authority on it, and I feel like an imposter when people ask me this, because I don't know the answer to this, but I know why they're asking me. 
and I got asked it yesterday. A friend of mine came in from out of town. It was really great to see him. I haven't seen him in, I don't know, a decade. And we started talking, and sure enough, the topic comes up, and it's, uh, hey, what do you think is going to happen? Is there going to be violence coming down the path? And I said, John, I don't know. I, I don't know, I'm, but I am worried about it, like genuinely concerned about it. And I don't think it's going to be a bunch of boogaloo boys or proud boys or conservatives or Trumpers. I don't think it's going to be them. I don't think they're the ones that are going to be like rioting in the streets and burning stuff down. Um, look, I understand there's there's always a certain there's always a certain level of this kind of agitation among uh, people in politics, right? I remember during the Obama years, and I would field phone calls from conservatives that were like, "You know, Obama's from Kenya, and we need to impeach him over this." And I said, "Like, honestly, you're going to impeach the first black president?" Really? You think that's a you think that's a wise move? And do you think that's going to be a stabilizing effect on America? I advocated against doing such a thing, doing a, an impeachment against Obama. Okay, um, and and there are things that he did. And now, uh, what with the Russia uh, and the, the steel dossier and the spying and all of that, probably even more reasons now. But um, I find it to be a highly destabilizing thing. And Democrats pursued this course. They did. Right? They impeached the president over the Ukrainian phone call. Right? Quid pro quo. As my friend John was saying yesterday, like, isn't that politics? <laughs> it's everything. He's exactly right. Hey, quid pro quo. It's like a swap meet. That's what politics is all about. It's transactional, right? Uh, at least it used to be. That's what people would always talk about. You know, the, we need to be able to work across the aisle and compromise. That's what they're talking about. Quid pro quos. They're talking about transactional politics. Because what's the opposite of that, right? The opposite of that is I have an ideology and I'm not going to bend at all. And that's what people say they don't want. <laughs> well, they do. See, here's the thing. They want, <clears throat> they want their side to be ideological and not bend. They want the other side to be... Uh, transactional and cooperative and willing to go along and willing to work in a bipartisan way. That's why a lot of these questions, you know, are like, well, how are you going to work with other people? Yeah, no, it's usually, well, how are you going to convince them to come over to your side? That's really what we're asking. How are you going to be <laughs> able to influence somebody on the other side to join you? And a lot of times it's just not possible. Because when you have people then that are transactional, and Donald Trump seems to me from the ver has from the very beginning seemed to me to be a very transactional kind of a guy. I mean, heck, if Democrats had just praised him, they'd probably get anything they want. I've never I've never understood the approach that Democrats took here. Uh, but Trump has broken so many people; <laughs> he really has. Both both pro and con, right? There are people that will forgive everything that guy does because they love him. And then there are people and they'll justify it and they'll defend it. And then you got the people that everything he does is wrong. And it doesn't matter if, it, if he does something that they agree with. They'll flip their position and say that he's wrong for doing it. And again, vice versa. People will defend stuff that they never would have defended had Obama done it. He's broken so many people. They just can't view politics without looking through the prism of Donald Trump. And so, of course, that's how we're going to view the election, right? And the left in America has been wargaming out what happens if Trump wins on election night, but then they're able to stuff enough ballots into... The I'm kidding, I'm kidding. 
It's, but not really. Uh, it's, <laughs> but, so what happens if Trump wins on election night and then all of the absentee ballots come in and it takes a month and then, oh, lo and behold, Donald Trump is, has lost, actually. And Joe Biden won. When we finished counting all the ballots we found in the trunks of our cars that we totally didn't know were there. For the last month, we to- we've just now found them, uh, and we've totaled them all up, and oh, look at that, Joe Biden has actually won. Sorry, sorry, Trump and all you Trump supporters. And they're like, okay, this is going to cause, this is going to cause uh, riots, it's going to cause violence. And what if Trump doesn't leave? It really is instructive. I'm going to go through this, uh, uh, the, this war game that they did. I'm not sure uh, you, you got all the details on this. But it's really instructive how a lot of these folks on the left, how their mind thinks when they are unshackled uh, by any kind of restraints that would normally apply. Like, uh, hey, pretend you're Donald Trump. And to the to the leftist mind, they say, well, that means I could do whatever I want. And where their mind goes, it's pretty frightening. When they think they can get away with anything because I'm Donald Trump, or this is how I think Donald Trump would act if you know because nobody will hold him to account where their mind goes on this stuff is is pretty frightening. Now, if your website is pretty frightening to you and you don't know how to run it, get Schaefer Smith to help you. Schaefer Smith Design. Great design can actually solve a lot of problems that websites have. You need your your website to turn up in search results. You want it to look professional and user-friendly, and you want it to uh, be easy to navigate for yourself so you can update the website if you need to update it as well. Schaefer Smith can help you with all of that. Professional services, corporate, small business, and entrepreneurs. Schaefer Smith can help you with graphics and photos, an online store, search engine optimization, website maintenance and security. He does logos. He did mine. Go to schaefersmith.com and get the most out of your website. That's schaefersmith.com. So Rick Moran writing over at PJ Media. He says, today the American left sees Donald Trump as a potential dictator. They see his re-election as the biggest catastrophe that could ever befall America. So they're preparing to fight. A group of radical left organizations met on Zoom to make post-election plans for civil war. I am not being hyperbolic here. This is, he, and neither is Rick Moran in this piece. This is not an exaggeration. They're literally wargaming Civil War, right? They're gaming this out. There was a piece, lengthy piece, by Sam Stein at the Daily Beast. Hardly a right-winger, Sam Stein. Headline, the left secretly preps for MAGA violence after Election Day. They are stoking their, uh, their voters into such a state of fear and panic that uh, there is going to be some sort of... Uh, uh, violent uprising by the right after this or yeah, on election night or the day after the election or something that when you think that the right is going to be trying to uh, uh, to take by force, it then frees you up. It justifies a lot of stuff that you would like to do. Um, and by the way, the violence that we have been seeing for the last three months in cities like Portland and Seattle, um, I see those things as a message. I see those as a direct message to the right that this is what they're willing to do. And as I go through this piece by Sam Stein, uh, I think you're probably going to hear some reasons why I might be correct on this. Okay, so put together by the Fight Back Table or the FBT 
is uh, it's an initiative that got launched in 2016 after the election to get a constellation of lefty organizations to work more closely together. So it was this FBT fight back table uh, put together this meeting on Zoom uh, to deal with the operational demands expected if the November election ends without a clear outcome or with a Joe Biden win that Donald Trump refuses to recognize, right? So once again, here they are stoking this fear among their voters that Donald Trump will refuse to leave the White House. And that's what, by the way, a lot of people looked at that article in The Atlantic that went to press on what? Thursday night saying that Donald Trump is disparaging the troops. A lot of people looked at that as um, an attack in a psychological warfare effort against the the military, but also against the right uh, in order to sort of plant this seed to say, you guys are going to be expected to take him out of the White House, right, to to physically remove him because he's not going to give it up when we win. Right. They're so convinced that they're going to beat Trump that uh, that if he does end up winning somehow, uh, they're going to say it's illegitimate. Or if Biden wins, we're going to need you to remove him. If it's really close, Trump won't concede. So this is what they're already saying, which, by the way, the only people I'm aware that have not conceded races so far that like in my lifetime, they've all been Democrats. (laughs) They've all been Democrats. Remember John Edwards? With John Kerry, yeah, Bush's re-election, they came out there and they're like, we're not, we're not conceding anything. And then they went, went back and the convention was, or the party was over, right? There were all these people there for the party, for either the big victory speech or concession speech. And John Edwards walked out there and he's like, you know, we're still tallying the votes and, you know, we're going to fight to the end. And, and then he walked off the stage and that was it. So like, th- this idea, Al Gore, which by the way is mentioned in this piece. Al Gore, inventor of the internet, which, by the way, the internet is a great way that people look for new homes. Did you know that? Of course you did. Looking for new homes online is very important, but uh, there it's kind of limited, okay? There are things that you just can't see and know just by looking online, and Rowena Patton knows this, which is why she does the virtual home tours. Uh, you go to her website, mountainhomehunt.com, and the houses that she lists, they've got the virtual tours, So it's a video camera. You walk in and you're just seeing everything in the house, which really helps to give you a better understanding of what the property looks like, what the house looks like. Um, Of course, site visits are important, uh, but in COVID times, uh, some people may not be cool with that. So go to mountainhomehunt.com and uh, check out the homes that they have there. They've got uh, tons of houses, but uh, they're always looking to add to the inventory. And right now, if you are thinking about selling, there are a lot of people looking to come to the mountains. You might be able to get a lot of money for your house. Give her a call at 333-4483. Buying or selling, the only agent I would call and have, Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team, 333-4483, and uh, start packing. Sam Stein's piece at the Daily Beast, again, linked up at the Patreon page. This was the first time that the fight back table was bringing together the matter, or sorry, bringing the matter to the 50 plus organizations that make up the coalition. To formalize the effort, they gave it a name the Democracy Defense Nerve Center. Oh my gosh, these people, they're literally LARPing. 
<laughs> right? <laughs> Live action role playing. This is literally what they're doing here. Over the course of two hours, participants broached the question of what the progressive political ecosystem can functionally do in a series of election scenarios. They began charting out what it would take to stand up a multi-state communications arm to fight disinformation. Not engage in it, of course, simply to fight disinformation. A training program for nonviolent civil disobedience. Hmm, do you think we've seen some dry runs of that recently? And the underpinnings of what one official described as mass public unrest. Yeah. I, I'm looking around now and I'm thinking, are, are these practice sessions going on that I'm watching? And they poured over a report from the Transition Integrity Project, a bipartisan group formed in 2019 that analyzed various election season scenarios and made clear the type of um, well, corruption and chaos uh, that potentially was ahead. The potential for violent conflict is high, said the report. Some of the hurdles were straightforward, like how do you occupy stuff? hold space, and shut things down, not just on election day, but for weeks afterwards. That was one source, familiar with the Democracy Defense Nerve Center operations. Others are more complicated, like what quick transportation options can be in place should poll locations mysteriously close. Others have been simply impossible to plan out. Like, they really think that Donald Trump is going to go around and start closing down polling stations. It's <laughs> it is very obvious... That Donald Trump is laying the groundwork for claiming victory no matter what, said Rana Epting, the executive director of MoveOn.org. MoveOn.org. Again, always feel the need to point this out. The organization that started to convince everybody to shut up about Bill Clinton's rape allegations and affairs. Right? That, that, that's why this organization was created. MoveOn.org. Their mission was to tell everybody, oh, please, people, let's just move on. They literally made it their name. Um, not very me too -y. You know, just throwing that out there. Um, move on was, and this woman was a participant in the, the fight back table call. Quote, progressive groups at the end of the day believe in our democracy. And while it is not perfect, believe in building upon it and strengthening it. And we will fight to protect it from what we truly see as a president who has gone off the rails and taken this country down an authoritarian fascist path. Again, where are these examples of the fascism? Guys, like, honestly, if Trump was a fascist, you guys would be in camps by now. Seriously, do you think you would be rioting in Seattle or Portland for a hundred days if this guy was actually a fascist, right? Where are all the people getting imprisoned for their political beliefs? Where, really, where are the fun camps? <laughs> that was a <laughs> Hillary Clinton's idea, the fun camps for adults, remember that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so here we go, the 22-page document. Um, which was summarized in the Washington Post and has been obtained by the Daily Beast. It described four simulation exercises. Literally LARPing here, okay? Four simulations. One, a clear Joe Biden win. Number two, a narrow Joe Biden win. Number three, a murky result. A murky result? What would that be? And number four, a Trump Electoral College win with a popular vote loss. So in other words, what just happened in 2016? Uh, all right. You notice what's not included in their, in their, uh, their gaming simulations here. 
is a Trump win, right? <laughs> is a clear Trump win. That's not part, that's not even in the equation. They're not even considering that. I guess because they think, well, if Trump clearly wins, I mean, obviously we're not going to get violent. We're not the violent kinds. We're all about love and tolerance. That's why the KKK is the base of the GOP and we should crush their necks, their pasty white necks and grind them under the heel of... Yeah. See, it all connects here. Like the, Because the left is never called out on this stuff by what is supposed to be the referees, right? The refs in, in, the, in the great debate, in the political arena, the refs are supposed to be the media, the reporters, right? And there should be enough of them uh, that call out enough people on both sides that it it, it it's sort of um, it's sort of fair, right? I don't think you'll ever get fairness because, like, and again, to bring it back to the Mo Davis situation, nobody had done that work except me, right? Nobody did that except me. I'm not even a journalist, right? I'm just a little old podcaster, but uh, I mean, I used to be a journalist, but I'm not a journalist. But I went through and looked at his tweets. I found his tweets. I asked him about it, and that's it. And that then becomes a story if people are interested in telling it. And if you don't have anybody interested in telling it, let alone doing the research for it, the story just never gets done. That's why you need a lot of the diversity in newsrooms and diversity in media operations. So, uh, so more of these stories come out. And again, the same goes true like for um, Madison Cawthorn, his opponent, right? If all of the media were conservative, then you know would they be less likely to tell those stories that got told by the the liberal publications? So, the four scenarios, <laughs> the four scenarios that do not include, by the way, Donald Trump winning outright. Um, they ran these things through uh, these things through a you know their simulated game playing and um, do do to do, do. Let's see here. Those simulations were played out with sixty seven prominent public officials and academics role playing on seven teams, including the Trump campaign, the Biden campaign, Republican elected officials, Democratic elected officials, career federal government employees, the media, and the public. Below the surface. Uh, it was even more harrowing because they said uh, they found, let's see, they had to to the top line takeaways were red siren items. The election results would almost certainly be contested and the transition process would likely be marred by tumult and corruption. The word violence was listed 15 times in the document, chaos nine times, crisis a dozen times. In the simulations, the Trump campaign was consistently more ruthless than Team Biden. <laughs> Once again, once again, the this idea that, oh, man, if only we could be as bad as the other guys. Like, who do you think is playing Trump's team here? Who played Trump's team? When you release these people from the restraints, uh, you know, oh, we got to try and like try and play this ethically because like I would never do that. All right, well, pretend you're Donald Trump then. Oh, man, I'm going to do everything. I'm going to do everything wrong. Because they believe that their opponents will do anything whatsoever. They, they believe this. And so when they, they war game this out, this is what they're planning for. Why is this important? Like other, Under normal circumstances, I would not care. This would not be a story for me. Okay, so some people are charting out and gaming out some simulations. Fantastic. Good for you. The problem here is that there are so many people that have been, that have been agitated and whipped into a frenzy over the last five years now that 
Uh, we already have the unrest. We already have the violence occurring. We already have the breaking down of the rule of law. We already have the tearing down of the institutions. We already have a lack of trust in not just the government, but the media as well. We are all now looking at our fellow citizens with suspicion and as potential enemies. This is a problem. And I, okay, I shouldn't say we are all doing that, but there are a lot of people that are doing that. And it doesn't take a lot of people in order to foment these types of crises. Speaking of crises, by the way, if not getting a good night's sleep is your latest personal crisis, then uh, I've got the solution for you because I am a giver. Mattress Man. Go to mattressmanstores.com. Check out all of the inventory or even better, go to one of their four locations in Asheville, Arden, or Hendersonville. They ship nationwide, by the way. They have local five-star delivery service, white glove service, and uh, you can get inner spring mattresses, you can get gel memory foam mattresses, uh, pocketed spring mattresses, hand-tufted, two-sided, hotel foam, memory foam. We got the memory foam mattress from Mattress Men years ago. We love it. Long before they ever advertised with me, uh, we bought our mattress at Mattress Man. So get your mattress where I got mine, and check out the Biltmore line by uh, Restonic. They're made in Fayetteville. These are the mattresses at the Biltmore Hotel and Inn. Uh, so obviously, fantastic mattresses. And they got great deals. The triple zero deal going on, zero down, zero APR for 24 months, and zero payments for 90 days. So, I mean, it's basically free for three months, right? You got no no payments, you have no interest for two years, and you have no money down. Awesome. Go to Mattress Man. Mattressmanstores.com. Experience the difference at Mattress Man and buy local and sleep better. So the simulations all show that Donald Trump will act ruthlessly and we will will act within the the restraints of the law and uh you know we'll be kind and you know maybe we'll you know we'll be a little tough, but, you know, never anything that's like strong arm or outside the boundaries of the law or, or norms. That, that's not us. That's them. That's the way they're going to behave. Okay. Hardball tactics that we might consider employing would only bring more aggressive responses from the right, they said. I think it's instructive that leftists think of these ways to attack others, right? When they are freed from the ethical and pragmatic restraints, they tell us how their minds work, right? When they say, think of the worst thing that uh, you can do if you were on the right, they have all sorts of ideas of the way the right would behave. And it doesn't matter if the right ever behaves like that. And it doesn't matter if there's no evidence that the right behaves like that. It doesn't matter. They thought of it. So now it's true. Under law, Biden is restricted from coordinating with outside groups like those involved with this democracy defense nerve center. But while Biden is keeping his plans coy, other Democratic Party luminaries are beginning to make noise. I love this idea. Oh, you're not allowed to coordinate. So, you know, this is all outside of Biden world. Bull. Give me a break. These people move between uh, campaign and uh, all these uh, left-wing organizations uh, it's all one big i mean look, what is the you've seen that thing like the circles where they they plot out or they map out where people are or views on things they get all the circles and there's overlapping circles and bigger circles and smaller ones like it's all going to be that cluster of circles right all around the biden campaign this idea that he's not coordinating or his campaign isn't coordinating and aware of all of this stuff give me a break 
the group stated that the most relatable parallel would be what happened in 2000 when the final results remained in limbo for weeks amid a recount of votes in Florida. What's difficult to remember was just how ill-prepared everyone was for that moment. When Al Gore dispatched top campaign aides to Tallahassee, the presumption was that election officials would quickly find another box of ballots that would change the vote count in a way that left no ambiguity as to who won. Isn't that interesting? When Al Gore sent his aides down to Florida, the idea was, oh, they'll find a box and it'll prove that we've got enough votes to win. That's what they thought would happen. Why would you think that would happen? Well, because we always find extra boxes. Ron Klain, Gore's top emissary in Florida, recalled telling his wife that he would be home by the next Saturday. The ordeal ended up lasting 36 days. And in looking back on it many years later, Klain said that the fundamental mistake Democrats made was treating it primarily as a legal fight. I love this. The the things that we tell ourselves, right? To this day, people still believe that Al Gore won Florida and that, and, it, and that election was stolen from him. These, they still believe they should have won that. They're still pushing this narrative that the Supreme Court stole that election for George W. Bush. The left has proven repeatedly that they are the ones who refuse to accept election results. Yet here they are charting out some strategies in case the other guy doesn't accept the election results what so if the other guy acts like you right if the uh, if the other team <laughs> starts behaving like you guys do what are you gonna do yeah what are you gonna do to keep your place sanitized and disinfected right are you do you own a business do you have employees and customers that are worried about catching covid19 so here's what you do you go to general equipment rental in weaverville and you rent yourself the karcher mister the Karcher misting system with vital oxide disinfectant. This is great ideas, uh, great idea for realtors, property and apartment managers, uh, venue operators, schools, childcare facilities, Airbnb owners, homeowners, hair salons, places of worship, any business. Okay, it's safe for kids, safe for pets. Uh, and safe for food contact surfaces. It uses an all-in-one hospital-grade EPA-approved germicidal disinfectant sanitizer and deodorizer that kills 99.9% of infection-causing bacteria and viruses, including the coronavirus, but all the others too, like H1N1 norovirus and E. coli and mold and mildew and fungus, all of it. It's super easy to use. It's got four independent wheels. You roll it around. It's cordless and you just spray stuff down. uh, And it's like the size of a shop vac. So uh, super easy. Anybody can use it. You rent it once a week. uh, Use it after the close of business. And it keeps the whole place treated sanitized for up to 10 days and then all you do is spot clean the high traffic areas uh in the meantime the karcher mister a general equipment rental in weaverville it's at the intersection of merriman avenue and reams creek road family owned and operated for three generations meeting all of your equipment rental needs really like from construction and earth moving to lawn and garden like whatever the project you're looking to do general equipment rental has the tool that you need hey uh 
contractors, general contractors, particularly like uh, you know smaller jobs, uh, this is your source for all of the equipment. Why do you want to go out and buy all of that equipment when you're only going to use it on one job every six months or something? Go get your equipment from General Equipment Rental in Weaverville. And if you go to generalrents.com slash Pete, you'll get a coupon for two free cloth face coverings. General Equipment Rental in Weaverville, generalrents.com, and think outside your toolbox. So the Al Gore emissary down to Florida, Ron Klain, says that Vice President Gore believed very strongly that this should be a legal process and not a political process. I also think there was a political calculus that he just turned out to be wrong on, which was that if we played by a set of rules, that elite opinion, get this, like the New York Times editorial board, the Washington Post editorial board, that they would weigh in against Bush and create a downdraft of Republicans then weighing in against Bush. That obviously failed badly. That is quite an admission, don't you think? That is quite an admission. He's acknowledging that we expected the elite media institutions to advance our agenda. Now, he's saying that, you know, well, we had the legal uh, case and we were in the right legally. I disagree. And the Supreme Court disagreed. But this idea, it's a delegitimization is what he's doing, right? He's saying that the Supreme Court decision was obviously partisan and political because it didn't go his way. And so, therefore, the election was stolen. And we expected all of these editorial boards to back our play. And when they didn't, that's why we lost. That's why we didn't get the elite uh, 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 public opinion behind us in order to advance this agenda. Don't worry, uh, Ron. I think you're going to be okay uh, if any of these scenarios you guys are gaming out come to pass. I'm pretty sure the editorial boards of all the major papers are going to be anti-Trump if anything like that happens again. I just I found it to be a really um, an eye-opening admission of something that we all already know. And it's interesting, too, that he assumed that they would just back his play rather than maybe taking a different uh, uh, opinion because they came to a different conclusion, which, of course, was the correct conclusion, that George Bush did, in fact, win Florida, right? And that the Democrats were trying to game the system, change the rules, count the votes that were going to help them, not count the ones that uh, were not going to help them. The larger game plan is to apply pressure through mass mobilization. Quote, we are not the forces of organized capital, says Maurice Mitchell, the national director of the Working Families Party and a participant in the FBT, the Fight Back Table discussions. She says, quote, ultimately, the thing we rely on is organizing people. See, this isn't so nice. It's just we're organizing people, not that ugly capital. We're not organizing capital. We're organizing people. So we're better than you. The nominal point person for the FBT on these and other efforts, sources say, is a woman named Deirdre Schiffling, a former top official at Planned Parenthood. So you know they're willing to kill to get what they want. I'm sorry, it's not really. Uh, Schiffling did not return a request for comment. The coalition includes labor groups like the SEIU, the American Federation of Teachers, as well as social justice entities like Color of Change and progressive movement outfits like Indivisible and MoveOn.org. It is also collaborating with Mission Ally Protect the Results, 
That's the name of the group. Protect the results. A group of 80 plus left of center, as well as some never Trump entities that are also planning mass mobilization in more than a thousand locations across the country. This is what they are up to, folks. This is what they are doing. If the election is close, they're going to replicate everything we have seen in the last three months. They're going to do that in every city. And they have whipped their base into such a frothy frenzy that they're going to think that the right is going to commit acts of violence in order to keep Trump in the White House. And so that then will justify them and their actions. That will give them license to engage in preemptive, call it the Bush Doctrine, type of violence. And you know that they know how to commit these acts of violence because they have been showing us for the last three months in Portland and in Seattle and now in Rochester, New York. Instead of chanting about Black Lives Matter and say their names and black people used to live here, instead of doing that, they're just going to be demanding that Trump leave uh, the White House. And they're going to. And what does this sound like, by the way? What does all of this sound like? These are called color revolutions, right? The the uh, the orange revolution, the red revolution, right? all of these um, uh, these uprisings against tyrannical regimes. That's what they are apparently attempting to replicate in America. And don't tell me that these people who are involved don't have any experience doing it. America has been doing this in other countries uh, against tyrannical regimes for a long time. It's a playbook that is pretty well known. The Transition Integrity Project noted that there would be immense pressure on Biden to fight it out for the third time in 20 years if the Democratic candidate won the popular vote but did not take office. In a simulation they ran, Team Biden, quote, encouraged Western states, particularly California, but also Oregon and Washington, and uh, they call it collectively Cascadia. They, they were urging these states to secede unless structural reforms are made in exchange for Trump getting the presidency. For instance, Republicans would need to agree to abolish the Electoral College, give Puerto Rico and D.C. statehood, and divide California into five states for better Senate representation. They're looking to stack the deck and eliminate the Electoral College so they can have control in perpetuity. So you know what I would say to that? Bye. You want to secede? Good. Best of luck. We wish you all of the best in your future endeavors, Cascadia. Be your own country. And as long as you don't invade us when everybody starts fleeing because you can't keep the lights on, we'll be fine. Best of luck to you. All righty, that's a wrap for this episode. Please remember, subscribe to the podcast and give it a positive review. I appreciate that. Consider becoming a patron of the program. Get cool stuff and exclusive content. Links are all at thepetecalendarshow.com and in the description of the podcast. Thanks so much for the support. I do appreciate it. We'll talk to you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.